This is a faith and family class. Um, this is a new class. It's an installment we have nine to 12 times a semester. And I'll just kind of um, say that, you know, we, uh, just kind of an interesting little factoid. Uh, uh, if you were in my class last week, you heard me talk about this. But um, so, you know, there's been a ton of research over the past 15 years about sustainable faith amongst young people. And, uh, you know, the church, say, the last half of the 20th century uh, was just an epic failure <laughs> at forming kids with sustainable faith. About uh, the, the church, on average, had about a 30% success rate of forming kids who, um, forming kids who attend church after high school, like into adulthood. So a 70% failure rate. There's only one industry in the world where that is considered good, and that is Major League Baseball. Otherwise, you get fired <laughs> for a 70% failure rate. Um, but one of within that, uh, there are a lot of different factors as far as why, like where the church has failed. Um, some of that is the message. Uh, you know, most kids have understood Christianity as a set of behaviors rather than the good news of God's love for broken people. Um, kids have been segregated from the life of the church. Um, just all kinds of all kinds of things, but one of the major factors is that churches have done a really poor job of helping parents invest spiritually in their kids. And so, um, so with that being said, like we've taken very seriously uh, in our congregation um, how difficult it is to be a parent. And so we uh, want to educate, encourage, and equip parents to invest spiritually in their kids uh, in ways that are practical and are common sense. And so. Um, so with that being said, that's what Faith and Family is, just as a little uh, infomercial there. Um, anyhow, I'm going to pray for us and we'll get started. Um, Lord Jesus, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. Um, thank you that you've given us children. And um, God, I pray that you would comfort and help us in this difficult task. And uh, I pray you'd help me in this class, Lord. Um, just give me give me wisdom and give me a, a charitable spirit and pray that this would be constructive and helpful to everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I think it's uh, important to kind of start off uh, with a caveat. Whenever you do a parenting class, um, everyone automatically feels accused and condemned um, <laughs> because uh, to be a parent is to feel inadequate, right? Um, I think I can say this. I'm like a professional work with kids person, right? You know, I've I think I would say I was a, a teacher and I was a coach for four years and I've been a youth minister for 11 years and um, I have a master's in education. So like if anyone should be equipped to parent, it's me, right? Well, um, you know, reality has a cruel sense of humor uh, and uh, a reality oftentimes comes in the form of an aluminum baseball bat. And um, that, would, that has been my experience uh, because you just can't control your kids. And you just, a lot of times, you just don't know what to do. And a lot of times, the things that you used to judge other people for, you're like, oh, wait a minute, uh, that's me. You know, you used to judge that person for the way they were speaking to their kid or disciplining their kid at the, you know, at the, the Belk or the Publix or wherever you were. And then all of a sudden, you're like, if you say one more word. <laughs> you know? so, so anyhow, not that I've ever, ever lost my cool in public with my children. Um, I was on the phone on Friday with the junior high youth director, and uh, my child, uh, Hutch, has a clinical addiction to veggie straws. He's almost two years old, and uh, I, was, I was talking to Palmer about something, and Hutch goes, veggie straw, 
veg straw, veg straw, veg straw, veg straw, veg straw. And it was like the record that wouldn't quit. And I was like, hutch, hutch. We're out of veggie straws. We're out of veggie straws, right? And so then, uh, you know, we were headed, we were headed to the botanical gardens and, you know, that we know where the little, uh, the little circle thing is out in front of the zoo. Uh, like we did a 180 and I was headed right back to the western. I was like, we're buying veggie straws because I'm about to lose my mind. And Palmer got to listen to my lack of poise and, uh, and my conflict with my child's clinical addiction to veggie straws. Anyhow, that's all to say, I, we need to just kind of open up with the recognition that everyone in parenting feels is struggling. Um, everyone feels uh, a sense of failure. Everyone feels a sense of inadequacy. Um, and we just need to remember that uh, God's grace is bigger than our inadequacy. God is actually your child's ultimate parent. Uh, and so um, we are just, you know, provisional parents until your child sees his true parent in heaven. And so, um, so with that being said, we just kind of I say that to give us a sense of like comfort um, in uh, you know in our struggle as parents. So today uh, we're going to talk about a philosophy of parenting in one word. This is a series that we've been doing for the last four weeks, and so um, my word is intimacy. Uh, my word is intimacy, and so um, I will say most of these classes has been the husband and the wife uh, speaking together. My wife was supposed to be out of town, and her her girl trip got canceled on like Friday. Um, so I, I so I kind of prepared by myself, but honey, you can totally jump in and well, tell. I also didn't even know that he was teasing until last night. <laughs> I was supposed to be riding solo. Oh yeah, sorry about that, babe. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyhow. So, uh, so that's, you know, caveat there. But I'll just say this. I'll start out kind of speaking broadly. Um, I, I have the benefit of, I've had the benefit of observing families, observing kind of the culture, observing parents for a number of years. And I would say that, um, one thing that I think parents can misunderstand in terms of their role as a parent is that they think that what their child needs is a coach. What their kid needs is a coach. They need someone to help optimize performance. So uh, back in the 1980s, a scholar at Tufts University named Philip Elkin, he um, identified a shift in parenting paradigms. Uh, previously, um, previously, parents had kind of seen kind of connection and nurture as primary, their primary role as a parent. But in the 80s, it started to shift to competence, child competence. Parents saw themselves kind of like uh, a developer, uh, like a human resource developer. Basically, my job is to get my child the best education, help my child be the best athlete, um, help my child be as marketable as possible, as successful as possible in the market economy. That's, that's, that's kind of the norm of what parents, how parents view their role. And certainly, like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's good to help your kid uh, actualize their gifts. It's good to help your child apply themselves. You do want your child to hopefully move out of the house at some point and be a, you know, a self-sufficient adult. That's a good thing. And then, uh, Luke chapter two, verse 40, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, uh, favor with man and favor with God. So you can break that down into four categories. Wisdom, he grew intellectually. Stature, he grew physically. Uh, favor with, uh, God, he grew spiritually. And favor with man, he grew socially. So, uh, you know, a lot of times in church, we can hyper-spiritualize things and just be like, the only thing that you're, you're supposed to do is for your child to be a missionary who goes to Africa to save the lost. And, uh, we don't, you know, like, 
that's just that's just not biblically true. I mean, there are different facets. But what I would say is what your child needs more than a coach, your child needs a sense of connection. Um, your child needs a sense of connectedness in their family. And so um, and so with that being said, you know, your child has a lot of coaches. They have a lot of coaches in their life. They have teachers, they have tutors, they have you know, athletics coaches. Um, they have all kinds of coaches in their life. They don't have a ton of connectors in their life. They don't have a ton of people who are fostering fellowship, who are fostering a sense of connection uh, in relationships. And so I'll just, the, kind of the thing that's going to drive this is that what your child needs more from you than coaching your child needs a sense of connection within your family. Needs a, I, it's funny, I, um, I, was, I did this talk at Crestline. Um, and I, you know, I can't talk about the Jesus stuff at Crestline or at a public school. Um, but I asked some of the students in, um, asked some of the students, you know, about my talk. I kind of went through my notes with them and asked them what they thought. These were boys who were uh, going to be seniors. And they were all kind of like shaking their head like, yes, 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 connection, yes. Like, I need support from my parents. I need encouragement from my parents. I need acceptance from my parents. Um, I, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need a whip being cracked. Now, I know for some of your kids are not motivated and your kids are defiant and it's hard to get them to do anything. And so that, you know, that's a different set of, that, that's, a, that's a challenge. Um, but I'll just say that the, the students we talk to say that what they want from their parents is a sense of connection. Okay, so philosophy, parenting, intimacy. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about this uh, biblically and theologically. Um, talk about why like our kind of um, vision for our, our family is um, kind of driven, what, what theologically is informing our philosophy of parenting. And then secondly, um, I will talk about, um, I'll, I'll talk practical. I'm honestly going to uh, tell you a bunch of things I've observed families doing um, that I've been like, oh, I'm going to do that. That's really smart. Um, and so I'll share you all, share all my notes um, from uh, being a voyeur of other people's lives. We're <laughs> um, being a person who really has the privilege to get to observe a lot of good parents. Um, but let me say uh, first that um, I want you to like, go back to when you took your child home from the hospital. Let's go back to where, I don't know, if it was Brookwood Hospital or if it was St. Vincent's or if it was in another town. But I want you to think about like when you're in the hospital, you've had your first or your second, whatever the child is. I want you to kind of think about what your dreams were for that child and what your dream was for your family. You know, and I, um, I think about like my dreams for my family. I thought about stuff like, you know, getting to rock a baby and taking, you know, getting your kid dressed up for trick-or-treating and like, you know, going around the neighborhood and doing that. Um, I think I, I love to walk and talk. I'm in the right industry if, <laughs> if that's what you like to do. But like taking walks around the neighborhood, you know, pushing a baby in a stroller. Uh, I had, you know, kind of visions of like talking to my kids in the, in the car. Um, I had visions of like family vacations, um, uh, you know, going on a, going up to North Carolina together and like playing out in the woods like my family did and, uh, going on, a, I want to take, like, my kids are teenagers, go out west, and my dad and I did this amazing trip to, like, the southwestern national parks when I was 16, and so I kind of have that dream. I have a dream of, like, Christmas, like, watching Christmas movies together and all this kind of stuff, and so as I'm thinking about, like, if you think about your vision, like, your dreams that you had for your child, how many of those dreams centered around your child being wildly successful and, like, carrying home a trophy 
or having a spectacular test score and how many of those dreams centered around a sense of connection. And I think like at our heart, what we all want, what we really long for is to have a deep sense of connection in our family, you know, to have a bond with our kids, to have a bond with our spouse, for our family to be, you know, to have a sense of friendship, you know, that like siblings get along. And I know that siblings pull knives on each other and that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's what we, that's ideally, that's ideally what we dream of, right? And so I think that that flows out of the way that God made us. Like the reason, I mean, I may, maybe I'm wrong. Talk to me afterwards if you're like, you know, actually when I was in St. Vincent's, my dream was uh, my kid making the travel soccer team, you know, and that's, that's what I saw was they made the elite state team, you know, um, but, but, and, and that's, that's okay. But I think most people, your dreams surrounded a sense of connection and fellowship and a bond within your family. And so the reason that is, is because we're made in the image of God. That's why. Okay. So in Genesis, actually, this is actually Genesis one. I kind of, whoops, botched that one. Um, but in Genesis one, when God is making man, uh, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, And so it is clearly emphatic in this text that we are made like God. We are made in his image, right? This is in, in Jewish poetry. By the way, interesting, the creation story is actually written in poetic verse um, for you know scientific skeptics. It's, it's not a scientific account. It's clearly a theological account. Um, but uh, he says, God created man in his own image. He, he says this three different times. And so when there's this sense of repetition written in different ways, it's a, it's a point of emphasis. He's trying to hammer home a point and make it clear. Man is made in my image. He's made like me. Something interesting, and many of you have probably heard this um, or read it in commentary in the Bible, but notice he says, let us. Then God said, let us make man in our image. He's using a third-person plural there, right? And so um, different people have different opinions on this, but the reigning and predominant opinion is that this is God speaking as a triune God. Let us, the three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our own image. And so, so then the question is, um, what is God as a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, uh, and us being made in his image, what does that have to do with anything? And so, first off, the essence of God is inherently relational. It's inherently relational. Uh, God is three persons for a reason. God is so inherently relational that he has to exist as multiple people. Because one person cannot relate to, you know, there's no, there's, there's no love. Uh, St. Augustine said that God cannot be loving. He cannot be intrinsically and inherently loving unless he exists as multiple people and one. Because he says if God was not always triune, then there was a point where God was not loving someone outside himself. So that would mean there was a time that God was not actually loving. But we believe that, you know, God is love. That's 1 John. And so with that being said, um, that is who God is. He is so relational that he has to exist as three people but one God. Three people who are in such deep communion, who are in such deep love, who are in such deep awe of one another, that they are one. So we are made in God's image. And what that tells us is that we are made for connection. 
We are made for relationship, and we are made for deep, deep communion, deep, deep fellowship, deep intimacy. All right, next, the essence of our salvation. All right, so when you talk about you know Christianity, <laughs> the character of God and salvation are pretty much the two biggest things, right? And you'll see here that the essence of salvation is tied up in oneness. It's tied up in oneness. It's tied up. The predominant theme in Christian salvation is what you call union with Christ. Okay? And so, you know, we talk about salvation, uh, this, you know, kind of being like how it is that a person who's sinful, uh, you know, becomes reconnected with God. How that, you know, the gospel, we use that word a lot at our church, but we don't define it as much as we probably should. But the gospel is this good news that even though, uh, you know, man is sinful and as a result, uh, God and man are, are separated, they have a sense of disconnection, there is this opportunity for reconciliation between God and man because of what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. As a result, the reality of God is that he loves sinful people and he longs to be reconciled with people. So when a person, uh, when a person becomes a Christian, like when they reconcile with God by, you know, making amends, by confessing like, God, I've I've made mistakes and I just ask for your forgiveness and I thank you for Jesus for making that possible, then they become one with Christ. Okay? Now this is if, if anyone has hung around me for you know more than an hour, you've probably not heard me go an hour without talking about this, because I honestly hardly knew anything about union with Christ uh, until about two and a half years ago. And my seminary, like my systematic theology class on this, we spent like two minutes. And, uh, and then I, like, at a conference, picked up a book on union with Christ, just kind of randomly. And just, like, it just changed my life. I just, like, the joy of my salvation has just been so much greater, so much more real, understanding this. But basically, um, when we talk about union with Christ, which is kind of the overarching theme of salvation, that means that when a person uh, becomes a believer, when they enter into a relationship with God, they become one with Jesus, such that Christ, in a mysterious way that we don't understand through the Holy Spirit, dwells in our heart, and in some crazy mysterious way that we don't understand, we dwell in the heart of God in heaven. So Jesus says here in John 14, he's talking to the, um, he's talking to the disciples, he's talking about heaven, he's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he says, in that day you will know that I am in the Father. Okay, so this is very Trinitarian language, right? Because we believe that each person in the Trinity dwells within each person in the Trinity, okay? I am in the Father, and you are in me. Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are in me, like you are in my heart. And he says, and I am in you. So, in the sense, like when we are saved, I'm not saying that we become like members of the Trinity. That's not what I'm saying, that's heresy. But the relationship that we enjoy with God is similar to the relationship that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit enjoy with one another, okay? The reason I'm bringing this up about the essence of, of the character of God and the essence of salvation is it's all about oneness. It's all about a deep sense of connection and fellowship and intimacy. And, um, and so that means that, hey, Matt, we should mind closing that door. I'm sorry. I'm easily distracted. Um, that's, that's why I spend my career with uh, five-year-olds and uh, middle school people because <laughs> I haven't really developed much beyond on there. And you know, so Romans 8. Romans 8, Paul is talking about the, re- the relational dynamics in this section here, uh, 12 through 17, I'm doing 14. 14 through 17, Paul is talking about the relational dynamics 
that are brought about in the new age that Jesus has ushered in through his life, death, and resurrection. We call that the age of the spirit or the age of the new creation or the age of the kingdom. And so, by the way, I'm going to get, I'm going to get practical, I promise. We're not, we're not, you know, taking a, I'm not trying to justify my uh, seminary education the entirety of this time. Um, but anyhow, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. By the way, he's not using gender-exclusive language when he says sons, um, because this verse is going to be all about inheritance in this age. Uh, women cannot inherit anything. So when he says sons, he's intentionally using that word um, to, to emphasize that everyone, women and men alike, are sons of God, we inherit the things that Jesus inherits. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Interestingly, a lot of you know Abba, that's Aramaic. That means you know, that's, that means daddy. It's a very intimate term. But the reason that it's preserved in Aramaic in the text, a lot of people think, is because that was actually the name that Jesus used to refer to the Father. So like my one-year-old, he refers to me as Dada. My three-year-old, she calls me Daddy. This is like Jesus' pet name for God. And so what Paul is saying is we get to call God by the same name that Jesus called his father, the same pet, affectionate name that God used. To the Spirit himself, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, that we also be glorified with him. So basically, there are a lot of things we inherit through Christ. But one of the things we inherit is a status such that God relates to us in a similar fashion to the way that God relates to Jesus. And that means that like all of the good pleasure, all of the favor, all the delight that God had in a perfect child, Jesus, who was perfectly obedient, he has in us. And so again, this is just pulling into how oneness and connection and this you know, close loving relationship is, it's, it's, it's what we're made for. It's our essence. Okay, so now getting practical. Components, so with our family, I'll just say, our family if, you know, comes right out of the mouth. What is our family about? I would say our family is about intimacy. That's what we're trying to foster. We're trying to foster intimacy for our children and their relationship with God. We're trying to foster intimacy in our marriage. We're trying to foster intimacy in our relationships with our kids. That's what we want. And, um, and we... Uh, you know, we'll see how this we'll see how this practically works out because you know the oldest child in my house right now is going to be four in November, but uh, I um, I have a little bit of a combative personality and I have a I have a combative um, kind of belligerent attitude and view of anything that might interfere with that that mission of having an intimate family. So how you know components of intimacy um, uh, components of intimacy first time. You know, like you, you can't really grow close to another person unless you spend time with them, right? Um, and th- you know, this is true in human relationships. This is true in relationship with God. We just don't really have a sense of closeness to God unless we spend time with Him, either in- individually and corporately. Um, secondly, intimacy comes through vulnerability. You know, who who is your best friend in the world? The friend who knows everything about you. They know your deep dark secrets. They know your insecurities. They know your shallowness, and they still love you, right? And so, uh, so with that being said, intimacy doesn't doesn't come unless there's vulnerability. Uh, it, my friends that I just talk about football with, there's no intimacy there. You know, um, there's intimacy in my friendships where they know about how vain I am. Um, the uh, and then finally, mutual knowing. You know, there's like mutual self-disclosure. You know about them, they know about you. 
that's where intimacy grows. And that's, you know, that's part of how we have this intimacy with God because we believe God has made himself known. Through scripture, through the person of Jesus, we believe that God has disclosed his heart, his character, um, his feelings about us, the, you know, his, the way he made the world, so on and so forth. So these are components of intimacy. And these are, you know, all things, um, that we're trying to foster within our family. What's my, oh, you know, we're just going to stay there. Okay. Sorry. All right. So, um, so what I would like to talk about here for just a little bit is how, um, how we kind of try to foster these things in our family. And I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to talk about kind of how I see parents doing this well. Uh, in, in families that I observe. And so the first thing, um, first thing I would say when it comes to time, uh, I, I want, I'm going to say this, I don't want to say this judgmentally because I know that probably three fourths of the room, you're, you're plagued by this. But when it comes to time, I see lots of different things related to sports and academics, like robbing families of their time. Um, I, um, uh, you know what? We're friends. I'm just going to be totally honest. I freaking hate travel sports. I hate them. I hate travel sports. I do. And I'm sorry. I'm not saying they're all bad because I know that for some of you, like, you might coach a team or you might, you know, have great bonding time with your child, you know, driving them to soccer tournaments or volleyball tournaments or swim meets or whatever it is or dance competitions. And so I, I don't want to be like black and white and say like, this is bad and this is good. And if you're doing this, you're terrible. I don't want to say that at all. I just want to say for our family, I'm going to be really, 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 really skeptical of any sports specialization before seventh grade. Um, I, you know, I, I talked to a friend yesterday whose five-year-old son was invited to be on a travel soccer team that would involve him practicing every single night during the dinner hour and traveling twice a month. And uh, that, that could be your story, and I'm not judging you. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm not. But I just want to say, like, I think that that, in terms of pulling a mom and a dad away from having time as a family, I think that it's not worth it. That's just my opinion. I, I think, or at least I would say you need to be really, really prayerful and really clear that, yes, indeed, this is the best thing for my child, and this is the best thing for our family as a whole. Um, and, uh, you know, cause like when the, your kid gets into high school, that's like the only option, you know, like they have to, if your child's going to play any sport at all, um, they're gonna practice, you know, every day and you're probably going to be staying at home during the summers. Like your vacations are going to be limited. A lot of the sports, you can't go on spring break and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And, you know, sports can be a really good thing for kids. And so that, that's, that's awaiting you in high school. And so I would just say, if you have young kids, elementary age kids, for us, I'm going to try to just kick that down the road as much as possible, like staying away from the travel sports. Um, and, and just, yeah, just kind of, uh, just too many activities. Um, other things, too, when it comes to time, actually, this would kind of fall under mutual knowing, too, but um, technology, um, phones, are, I mean, I know it's like probably my biggest enemy as far as like intimacy in our household, like wanting to, you know, check my text messages or wanting to, uh, you know, go to Real Clear Politics app and look at the polls, you know, every like, I don't know, two hours. Um, that's like my micro obsession. And, um, and so uh, technology is a huge intimacy to fostering an intimate family. Because I was, t- it's interesting, I was talking to um, a 
superintendent of one of the school systems this week, and we were talking about kind of family life, and he said, you know, I'm <laughs> sorry about that. He said, he says, I'll be honest, I actually have the privilege of being around my kids a lot, but I am convicted that I'm not actually present when I'm around my kids. Like we're in the same room, but we're not really there. And so um, something, some wise things I've seen parents do. Um, first off, uh, at home, like during meals, at home after certain hours of the night, uh, parents either taking up phones or, this is so smart, I know one family in this church where the dad has gotten savvy and they're on Verizon and you can set it where you can turn off all internet and all like cellular access. Like, you know, he can do it online as the account administrator. So he turns off all of his kids' internet accounts at like 9.30. So basically they, they cannot. Like there's no, you can't be on the computer, you can't be on the iPad, you cannot be on the, you know, on your cell phone. It's not an option. And so, anyhow, um, one other thing, really smart, just a little tip here, the car, like, take advantage of car rides. I know that for a lot of you, you drive, you know, 200, 200 miles a week to different practices and picking up kids here and driving them there, and, you know, basically, you should be paying property tax in your suburban as, like, a, as, a, as like your, your primary homestead, right? Um, but uh, I know one family where the mom, anytime anyone gets in the car, that's adults, that's friends of the kids, everyone has to put their phone in the glove compartment. They're not allowed to have their phone in the car. The phone is an optimal place to have conversations with your kid. Um, I, uh, what's that? The car. The car, did I say the phone? Yeah, the car is a phenomenal place to connect with people. I, um, I share this at Crestline. If I have a kid who is really struggling when I'm driving them home, of course, with their parents' permission, I um, I always take the long way home. Always take the long way home. Uh, particularly if you have boys. And this, I think, is probably true with girls, too. But boys in particular. Like, boys cannot do Starbucks face-to-face like this. They develop, it's, it's emotionally very challenging for them to handle that kind of intimacy. Really, really, you know, up until, up until like, early to mid-20s. And so, um, sorry, it's just about, sorry, that's just neuroscience. Anyhow, um, that's not, I don't want to, I don't want to put a, I don't want to, you know, categorize all boys in that way. I'm just saying that it is, e- I'm not saying it's an impossibility. I'm just saying it's easier for a boy to talk side to side. You know, so like, if you've ever seen me like walking around Mountainburg Village or walking around the summit, I mean, yo, I have logged so many miles at the summit. It's because of that reason. Like, Boys don't do face-to-face very well, but they're going to open up. They're going to be more vulnerable um, if they uh, if you're side to side. So the car is like side to side. Shoot, it's like a you know like a Catholic confession box. They're in the back seat and you can't see them. <laughs> anyhow, um, and and hey, there's a reason they have a confession box. People are you know anyhow. So with that being said, like capitalize on the car like all day long. Put the phone away in the car. Make them put the phone away. And, um, and yeah, just, and just be open, like, hey, and, and you put your phone away too. I, I look, back on the mutual knowing, like, my kids aren't at an age where, you know, they kind of get, if I'm like, hey, I gotta admit that daddy is, daddy is really shallow and daddy's a hypocrite and, um, daddy wants to, you know, daddy's just like one of the seventh graders that he works with. He's on his phone all the time. Um, but you can be vulnerable with your kids and say, hey, look, I know, I know what a distraction it is. The phone is a distraction. 
I want to check my email. I want to check my text messages. I want to check whatever my thing is. But look, I'm going to put my phone in here too because I really want to connect with you. Like, I want to talk. I know when we get home, you're going to have a ton of homework. And like in the car, like, let's just put our phone up and you can kind of, you know, put your, put your cards on the table and, and you can express to your child, I want to connect with you. And I'm, you know, I'm tempted just like you. Um, what time is it right now? Okay, great. Okay, so another thing. I think, you know, Don and Jane Menendez, they, the, they did the first class in this series about a vision for parenting, and they talked about intentionality. Like, that was their word, intentionality. I just think uh, you have to be really, really intentional um, uh, with your family about protecting time. Um, because, you know, if you don't, like, the world is, is a lion that is looking to, like, devour your time, right? And so... Um, and so you just really have to kind of go to war um, with that and just like kind of get on the books. So examples of that, I know a family where they say, hey, girls, it's either Friday night or Saturday night. You choose. But one of the two, like no one has plans. Okay, they do this on Monday and the girls get to mutually choose like, okay, tonight, this, this weekend, it's going to be Saturday. And Saturday night is family time. We're staying in. We're not, you know, we're not. No one's going out. No one's accepting plans, no matter how cool they are, no matter how good it's going to look on Instagram. And so, um, so you can see a sense of intentionality that every single week, they um, every single week they let the girls choose, but they have one night on the weekend that is theirs where they spend time together. They might watch a football game, they might watch a movie, they may go out to dinner, whatever it is, but they do something together. Um, and that's communicating to the kid, like, hey, we want to connect with you. Like, we want to bond with you. That goes a long way, just, just that effort the parents are making. I know another family, they, um, this is not, this is not a, a, this is not something that's really replicable for most people. These people have unique circumstances. But the family takes a one month trip every summer. <laughs> and, um, and they, you know, when the kids were young, up until like ninth grade, they're like, hey guys, if you're going to be involved in any kind of sport or activity, that would interfere with this trip, like, sorry, it's off the table. Can't do it. Because we're, we're getting out of town together. And the, the, the dad would stay in work and like travel up on the weekends. But obviously, I mean, it's just not, that's just not practical for most families to be able to do that. But I'm just saying you can see just how committed they were. And you can see too, like, how intentional they were and how much they like valued time together. Okay. And, um, what was I going to say? They, when their kids got to high school, they could choose, like, Okay, if you wanna if you wanna play football, and none of the kids chose to do a, uh, to do an activity because they value that. I'll say their their kids are really well adjusted, really really well adjusted, and they have a really tight family. Um, and I think that that they've prioritized prioritized um, time together is is that's just a part of the culture of their family. All right, so let's see what else do I have here. I know another family Sunday night we eat dinner together. Don't you know like there's no interference with that. They don't do youth group on Sunday night for that reason. Good for them. I'm all on board. Um, okay. Sorry. Another one. I know another parent. Every week he'd have like a daddy date. He had a boy and two girls. And, um, and so, uh, he would, you know, he didn't call it a daddy date with his son. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, they would like go out for ice cream or whatever. Another family, we're going to eat something together every night. That's pretty cool. So even if you get home from play practice at nine, we're all going to eat dessert together at nine for 30 minutes every night. Another family uh, in, in our church, hour-long dinner every night, 
you know, however late that is, but we're all eating dinner together for one hour every night, no phones. So I'm sorry, I'm giving you a lot of kind of practical examples of, of intentionality um, and how important and good that is. Okay. Um, all right. All right. Next thing here, I'm going to talk about vulnerability. Um, and I'll just say this. Uh, I'm a feeler. Uh, you know, don't let the six foot five, 230 pound frame fool you. Um, I'm a feeler. Anyhow. Uh, but I, it's kind of funny. Um, it's kind of funny to like listen to me talk to my daughter because I'll be like, honey, how do you feel about that? How, how, how was school today? Anyhow, and I'm just, I would say into like to generate a sense of connectedness in your family, uh, you want to ask what I call heart level questions with your kids. Okay, and so I'm going to do a whole other class on this, so I'll spend more time on it. But basically, you you know, it's a good, I think that um, I find that like uh, as my ability to connect with students has kind of improved over the years, it's because I've gotten better at asking questions. So, you know, I'll ask like, so how how is school? How are things going with your friends? How sports? You know, you're just kind of asking about circumstances of their life, just asking about the details. And then as I'm asking these questions, um, I am basically uh, have my antenna is up to hear where so, there may be something emotional going on below the surface. So if like oh I've got all this work at school I'm like okay that's uh, you know note to self probably some anxiety may feel overwhelmed and be like hmm sounds like you have a lot of so that's kind of I call it external internal eternal um, external is I'm just asking questions about circumstances and details. Internal is I'm asking about the emotional experience of their life. Okay, so if they're like, oh, I've got all these tests this week, I'm like, hmm, how do you feel about that? I was like, you know, if you're gonna, you know, are you feeling anxious or overwhelmed, or you know, how are you feeling? And uh, and then we're gonna get into a heart level conversation uh, where they're gonna say like, I am so overwhelmed. Like, oh, why are you overwhelmed? And just keep on kind of going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I know this is easier said than done with a teenager especially with a parent, because they're developmentally at a phase where they're trying to get as far away from you as possible. That's why people who got, you know, elementary school and middle school enjoy the good old days. No, just kidding. Um, that's not, that's not, that's, that's honestly not true. Um, I feel like I, I feel like my, I feel like I connect with high school boys at a much deeper level than middle school boys. But, um, but anyhow, so with that being said, um, so yeah, I, I'm always wanting to ask my, my own children, uh, but eat kids in our youth group questions that go to the heart level that engage them emotionally so it's true like our um i will say uh like our children do have pretty high emotional vocabularies <laughs> my, my oldest child uh, he was like two i can remember him being like daddy i'm so disappointed <laughs> so disappointed <laughs> but that is like especially if you have young children that's just a that's a kind of a targeted way to think about it you want to build your child's emotional vocabulary um, it builds a bond with you, but it also is going to enable them to connect with other people. So anyhow, um, and then finally, mutual oh yeah, mutual we're running out of time. Mutual self, no, mutual knowing. I would say to um, you know you want to find out about your child, but in a way that is appropriate, you also want to tell your child about your heart. When I when I say appropriate, you don't ever want to share things that would make your child feel burdened, like. For example, if you're having financial trouble, you don't want to be like, gosh, five-year-old, like, I have no idea how we're going to pay the mortgage this month. You know? <laughs> That's not appropriate. Okay? Don't do that. Um, but, you know, but if you can kind of go back, to think about your story, go back to when you were, you know, in kindergarten 
or when you were entering into middle school or whatever it was, and you can say like, gosh, you know, for example, I will do this with high school students, especially if there's a boy who has a breakup. I'll be like, hey, look, I know that people treat that like it's no big deal, but I just want you to tell every time a girl broke up with me in high school, I was crushed. Like, I was absolutely crushed. And I'll tell them about, you know, like, whoever the girl was who had terrible judgment, who didn't want to date me. <laughs> no, um, no, but anyhow, you know, in a way where it's not putting burden on them. You know, that, the Band-Aid is, the, 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 you know, the, the bow has been tied on that a long time ago. But, but they do know my heart, you know, and I'm, and I'm showing like, hey, I've struggled like you too. So, sorry, I've kind of been all over the place. I've shotgunned a lot of stuff. Bottom line, I would say, is um, I think what your child wants, I think what, you know, what you long for is to have a connected family, you know, to have a sense of, of intimacy in your family. And, um, and it's yours. Like, it's yours. You know, don't let, don't, let, don't let whoever take that from you. And I would just say, you know, to sum it all up, I'd be ruthlessly intentional I'd be ruthlessly protective of your family's time, um, and I would foster, a, you know, a sense of like where there's a, a heart level, there's heart level discourse in your family. So I'll pray for us. If anyone wants to ask questions, you can. If you're trying to get to the 11 o'clock service or pick up your children, you're not going to offend me if you walk out the door. All right, uh, Jesus, uh, we thank you so much that you have um, that you have graciously. Uh, extended fellowship with you, um, that we can have oneness with you, communion with you. And um, Lord, I pray that you give us wisdom on how to do this in our own families, how to do this in marriages and, and friendships and, and really within our church, God, um, that this would be a, a place where people people do feel connected. And uh, I just, yeah, I pray for your help, God. Just pray for your help. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.